Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We believe we're more than just a football club. We have a social responsibility. We want to see this area change for the better. We'd like this stadium to be the catalyst for change. We've created thousands of jobs in the United Kingdom. You have an asset here that is global, that has the ability to attract other companies as well as this great club to this area. And we need to come together and make that happen for the benefit of everybody that lives and works in Tottenham. I'm sure the opening of the stadium is going to be incredibly emotional, not just for me, my family, all the people that work for the club, everyone connected, but also to our fans here and also all our fans all over the world. This is a very special night and we're making history. We're delighted to open what we believe will be one of the best stadiums in the world. It's not just me that's delivered this, you know, we've had a team of great staff, great professionals. We've had people that have dedicated, you know, number of years to make this one of the best. And it's amazing what human beings can do when they put their mind to it. It's very easy for people to say no. And we kept saying, no, this is what we want, find a solution. Maurizio and the players have been absolute stars. Fans, I hope we're making them proud. You know, without the fans, we wouldn't be here today. They've been patient. We've been on a journey. So I'm very excited to hear the atmosphere on our, our first official game with 62,000 people. Welcome home. Hello and welcome back to the last word on Spurs here. Thank you for joining us in, in what can only be described unprecedented times here in the UK and actually all around the world. The coronavirus, a really, really scary time. We hope you're all keeping safe. We hope you're all keeping well. I'm delighted to be welcoming to the last word on Spurs here, 
two very, very fond members of our Spurs community. Delighted to have with me Kat and Martin from the Tottenham Hotspur Trust that are going to give us some escapism for the next hour and a bit. Kat, how are you? Lovely to have you back. I'm okay. Uh, I'm not sure I can promise escapism, but I will do my very best for my four walls that is now my working environment as well, as everybody's been told not to travel into central London. Okay, and what and what that is causing. Kat, I have to ask you, family, are well, are well at the moment? Family are okay? And yeah, okay. Uh, okay so far. It's just, I think it's just going to be a bit of a long haul, isn't it, for all of us. I'm, I'm missing the pub, I'll be honest. Bless <laughs> Obviously you. missing football too. Bless you, yeah. Bless missing the pub. I spoke to a few people at, see, at the moment, it feels like an international break, but you feel with what's happening over here and the way it's going, it feels like it's going to be a lot longer than just an international break. We hope we are going to be back to some normality of life very, very soon. So I'm delighted to also have this man back on our show, Martin Cloak. Martin, how are you keeping? Strange times, as you say, but uh, nice to hear some uh, familiar voices. How are you keeping? Yeah, not bad, not bad at all. I have to say, this is very, very odd for me to not be talking to you two face to face. But um, we are now dealing with the beauty of technology. Hopefully this is going to give the listeners some kind of insight into what is happening behind the scenes at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And also, I think, worth putting out there, the wonderful work that both of you do to make the cog of the wheels keep going at Spurs and to keep fans updated. And I know many, many, including me, like I say, we're so humbled to have you part of the show to come on like this and give us updates. And Martin, for you, family-wise, everyone okay from your end? Yeah, we're, we're all getting there. I think everyone's just like everyone. We're just getting used to... Uh very, very strange circumstances and I think people are just trying to work out what comes next and maybe not think too far ahead. I think at the moment we're just taking day by day. Now, we're going to react firstly to the Premier League statement, their latest statement, which came out on Thursday. And that statement was that the FA Premier League, EFL and Women's Professional Game, together with the PFA and LMA, have announced that the professional football in England will be postponed until April the 30th at the earliest. Now, Kat... I'll come round to you to kind of get your instant reaction to that firstly. Any surprises, Kat? It always felt like that April 3rd, 4th was always more of a holding date. How do you think you're going to see things pan out as difficult as that is to kind of envisage and to look forward? Yeah, I mean, we're really in uncharted waters here, aren't we? So it's pretty difficult for me to give you any definitive answer. I think you're right. I think that initial two-week delay, two or three-week delay, always felt like a holding position. What I think is good is that UEFA came out last week also and announced a postponement of Euro 2020 because that does give some time to maybe finish the season off a little bit later. I note that the FA also gave permission to finish the season after the 1st of June. So it sounds like everybody's been pragmatic and trying to work together on this. Um, look, I think it's unprecedented at times. I I wouldn't like to predict what's going to happen. I think there are several options on the table as to how they might be able to conclude this season, uh, some of which will be more palatable than others. But we we really are in, in, you know, uh, a complete uh, uncharted territory now. So no major surprises. I think it's good that the comms, the communication is coming out, you know, well and good from all bodies, really. I think UEFA did quite a good job. Uh, we're obviously in touch with the FSA and with the FSE, who are the European equivalents. Uh, they're being quite hot on putting statements out too. And I must also just uh, praise Tottenham for their communication so far. Uh, I think when we entered into um, this really uncertain period when it became clear how serious the COVID-19 outbreak was. We urge them to show some leadership and to show their crisis management skills. 
And I'll be honest, I think that they did really well in postponing their season ticket renewal opening. I thought that was, you know, good. It showed some empathy and humility and it showed that they understood the uncertain times that their fan base are in. Um, I thought that Daniel Levy's message, uh, which came out with the headline financial statements, uh, was exactly the right tone. Again, I thought that that was something that looked like we were in it together, uh, which was good. Uh, and I think that the work that they've done very quickly to put up all of their FAQs on the Ask Spurs portal um, is admirable and it's very thorough. And if you haven't looked at that and you are a fan, and especially with a match ticket, go and have a look at the Ask Spurs frequently asked questions on COVID-19. And a shout out to Tiggy and Levi over at the club who pulled that together really quickly. So that's a bit rambling, but that's kind of my thoughts on the whole comms. And I think it's always very important to keep you know, communication lines open and to keep fans informed when we're at times of crisis and times of uncertainty. Communication from Spurs has been, you know, very, very frequent, which is very good in this moment in time. There's a lot of fans out there, of course, missing football, but I think we all agree that the world at the moment, there are bigger and more concerning things about living days out at the moment for a lot of people. And our thoughts are, with that, say, all our listeners and everybody out there, listen, we've all got to stick together in these very, very sad and desperate times. And hopefully in these next... These next couple of weeks and next couple of months, we're going to hopefully see some light in the tunnel. But bringing it back to football, if we can, Martin, it does appear the FA Premier League EFL Women's Games, you know, those boards are fully committed to ending the season. They've extended it indefinitely now. Rules have stated that the domestic season should be finished by June the 1st. I mean, as I said to Kat, this further suspension of English football is of no surprise. You know, the game cannot continue as this coronavirus pandemic spreads. What's your feelings on it, Martin? for you as a whole and you know for them to extend it indefinitely that kind of gives them some more time now to make a judgment whenever that will be i think as cats said it's you know and you've said as well it, it it's really difficult to, to to speculate or to to try and put any thoughts together because it's completely unprecedented times at the moment you know, we, we've never ever seen anything like this and we don't we don't really know when it's going to end so i think when the authorities announced that football was going to be played to the 3rd of April. Everyone, well, OK, fine, but no one really believes that we're all going to get going again on the 3rd of April. Uh, I don't think anybody really believes that we're going to get going again on the 30th of April either, uh, by the looks of it. So, you know, where, where it takes us, I don't know. And, and I think we're all kind of thinking, well, there might be this option and there might be that option. And one of the problems with the situation we've got at the moment is that immediately you say, well, here's a personal opinion. I might do this. It, it becomes a thing. And, you know, we've had people who are contacting us saying, oh, we've heard this story about this and about that. And we said, look, we're not going to get into discussing rumours or into speculating because there's as many rumours and lines of speculation as, as, as you want to go into, really. Um, I, I think what's becoming increasingly clear is that, uh, it, you know, it's an unprecedented situation, but the solutions that are going to be put in place and are going to need to be put in place are going to be things that are going to involve everybody in all parts of the game thinking in a completely different way to the way they thought before. Uh, some of it, it just feels a bit odd to even think that football is important uh, at the moment. But, you know, that we know, we know that, it, you know, it is, it is a very, it's, somebody said it was, it's the most important of the least important things, football. So it's trying to get that balance right. Um, I mean, one, you know, I was just chatting with, with a mate today and I, we, we were kicking a few ideas around and I said, well, you know, why not think fairly soon about actually saying next season we're going to cancel because we don't know when we're going to be able to finish this season. Uh, and then that gives us some space to finish this season. And I think, you know, although I've said that 
football doesn't seem very important. I think that what most people would want to see is some conclusion to something that's already started. And I think the option of writing off this season is something that wouldn't be particularly popular. But, you know, again, when you're talking about thousands of people dying, writing off a football season, well, it's a bit so what, isn't it, really? But I think that there there are some fairly drastic solutions that might have to be considered. So, you know, that's one option, isn't it? Cancel next season uh, and then free up the space and say that whenever we can play out the games of this season, uh, then we can do that. Um, but I think like all other businesses, and I think all of us are worried about what happens to our jobs if we've got them, what happens to businesses that we depend on. Uh, and football clubs are, are businesses as well. I know we'll come on to bits of this. and Some are more well off than others. But this is going to affect everybody as well. Uh, and there's a real danger of clubs going to the wall uh, because of what's happened here. Because you've got a sustained period with no income. You know, what, what's going to happen? You know, is it is it just going to be, and I say just, that's a serious issue. Is it just going to be that staff get laid off? Is it going to be that some clubs can't survive? And certainly further down the pyramid, you know, clubs live from, from week to week and from month to month. So that there's it, it's not just going to be the usual, can I get to a game? Is there a service? Can I get my money back or whatever? It's going to be that there's some really big things to think about. We, you know, we, we don't know when we're going to get back to anything approaching normality. And I don't think that's being alarmist. I think it's pretty obvious from what's been said, you know, before we started the podcast, I was watching, I'm sure a lot of people were, the, uh, you know, the, the the latest kind of, you know, press conferences. We're all kind of trying to keep up with, you know, what the latest news is. And, you know, each day uh, there's a bit more information comes out. This is not going to be over in a few weeks. So we're going to have to live with this for quite a long time and we're hoping we're all going to reach the other side of it. And fingers crossed, like we say out there, everybody, please stay safe. Please stay well. You guys are here as you know, we always love you having you on, purely also because you met up with the board, I want to say, about two or three weeks ago, guys. Am I right in saying that, Cap, two or three weeks ago now? It was the 2nd of March, and it feels like an eternity mm. ago now with everything else that's happened, but it is only two and a half weeks ago or so, yes. Yeah, and obviously during that meeting, the board would obviously given the opportunity really to explain the events of the past six months and to expand on what the strategy was for the club moving forward. If I was to ask you, Kat, how you would sum up the meeting as a whole, how would you say it went? Basically, the, the, all of the notes, we, we, we try and go into those, um, those meetings and we make it very clear to the Tottenham Hotspur board that everything's on the record and that we will be putting out uh, notes as full uh, and as thorough as possible. So everything that was said in that meeting is on our website. So your listeners are more than welcome to go to thsdofficial.com um, forward slash news and have a look at the, the notes from that session and make their own judgment as to what was said. All we can do in those meetings meetings is take the questions in that we know our members primarily but also the wider fan base are asking and on this occasion it was an awful lot around what had happened uh, since Pochettino's departure and where the board of the club saw themselves now and what their plans were for the immediate future. It was a difficult meeting for us as a trust, we work primarily off field. We concentrate on the areas that we can influence. So they tend to be around match day experience. They tend to be around subsidised travel, around stewarding, policing, catering, ticket pricing, all those kind of fan touch points that we can have some influence on. The questions that we felt that most of our members were interested in this time wasn't necessarily around the off-field. It was really very much around the on-field. And so whenever you're asking a football club board and the chairman about decisions they've made around playing staff or around managers or 
particular personnel or particular strategies, it's you're limited in what you're ever going to get back in response. So for us, we went in there and I think that we were satisfied that we asked robust questions and that we pushed our point and that we reflected what the majority of our members had asked us to reflect uh, in that meeting. Whether we were satisfied with the fullness of the answers that were given is a different matter. And Martin might want to elaborate on that. But as I said, they're all on our website. So your listeners can alleviate their boredom a little bit more by having a read up themselves and deciding what they think as to what the club came back with. What I've got to say, Cap, just from my perspective, reading through the minutes, I mean, no one can ever say that it's not a detailed you know, account. You guys, I think, got everything you could out of that meeting. And I think fans have to be realistic that when you guys go in there, you are also there to maintain a relationship with the club. Therefore, there's only to some degree how far you can push and how far you can ask certain questions. So I know from our perspective of the last word on Spurs, listen, for us, for having you on here, you and Martin, it's, you know, it's great for us to be able to speak to you guys like this and to be able to get some further knowledge as to how those meetings went. But I agree, you know, the guys, if you're sure. interested, you need to go and check those minutes out. You know, go and read up. You know, Kat and Martin, they do fantastic work to be able to have that open communication with the club to be able to get the answers back that, you're you know, someone desperately want. Kind. No, honestly, I, I mean that. Ricky, I will, I'll, I'll thank you. I will just say that I, I don't want listeners to think that where we basically hold anything back when we go into those meetings. I think there's always a way to behave. And I think that you always need to behave in a mature, professional way. I don't think if you went in and slammed your fists and started swearing at people, you'd get very far. But I also think, and Martin will definitely back me up on this, that we don't shy away from asking the awkward questions. And there will be times when it will get quite heated. So it's not that we don't push for answers because we're worried about our own relationship with them. That's not the case. We will go in there and we will try and frame the questions in as constructive a manner as possible. But we do push on them. I would also say that the questions I'm going to come and ask you, you know, it's very clear from the information you've got from the club that has been with, you know, a, a relative amount of, of pushing. That's what that's what I definitely yeah, yeah. would think. I I would think on that. I mean, Martin, bringing it around to you, Daniel Levy thought it was important to consider the journey as a whole since Enid took over in 2001. The club now has the best training facilities, the best stadium in the world, and has spent 13 out of the last 14 seasons in European competition. Daniel feels that you know the club is running a sustainable way for the long term. You know the club is something unique. Two major projects have been completed. More than ever, has it the capacity to move higher level on a sporting front? Martin, when you're hearing all that information, when Daniel is explaining that as a whole to you guys, coming away from that mind, how does that make you feel? Do you feel the club are still moving in the right direction? It's, it's a question that people are genuinely ask, and uh, and I welcome the chance to, to to talk about it. And I think it's kind of partly expanded a little bit on on what Kat said about how how you have to kind of preserve the relationship and go in there. And I think you know, there I'm perfectly aware that there will be some people listening to this who who just think that. All we do is think that we're we're important because we get a meeting with the board three times a year and we're never going to challenge them at all. There are other people who think that we've got a bloody cheek even thinking we can go and have a chat to them. Um, I think there's hopefully there's a larger group of people in the middle who would say, well, let's have a listen to what they've got to say uh, and let's try and consider the issues a little bit. Now, I don't think, as Kat said, that uh, it would be... Uh, we would be thanked by a lot of our fans and a lot of our members, certainly, if we went in and sometimes said some of the things that we might say when we come straight out of a game when there's been a, been a bad performance or some of the things that we get asked to say in their emails and, and on social media because basically we wouldn't get through the door. And I think people do value 
the fact that we can get through the door, that we can put some questions uh, that they want put. Whether they get the answers they want, I think, is where 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 you come down to the issue. Um, so uh, is the club going in the right direction? And is Daniel right to talk about the bigger picture? To an extent, he is, yeah, uh, because, uh, you know, I think that, you know, what, you know, the, the stadium was an important project. The training ground was an important project. You know, it could have been there for 20 years. And we frame this very much as saying, OK, you've been here for 20 years now. That's long enough to take a long term view and say, have we got where we want to go? Are we going in the right direction? And especially with what's happened over the last six months to, to a year. Uh, can we learn anything from some of the things that maybe haven't gone the way ideally they could have done? And that, to me, seems like a fairly sensible uh, conversation that any business would have, if you like. Uh, and I think the what it all comes down to is the the old kind of business v football thing again, isn't it? Is that I don't think too many people would say that uh, from a business point of view, uh, the current board and, and Daniel Levy have made too many wrong decisions. Uh, they think it's a well-run club. I think people are fairly proud that you know it's sustainable and I think people have always got the memory of the kind of Leeds United especially uh, in in their mind as well so they know that you know clubs can fall from grace and supposedly kind of solid institutions can can run into financial difficulty so I think that there is a general acceptance that his business approach if you like has been right and it's yielded results where the argument comes in is is how important is that in relation to the football and where does the business influence the football now, again, we always said, I think Kat was one of the first ones to say it in a meeting when, when the, the stadium came up, you know, you can have a, as good a stadium as you want, but what really matters to the fans and what really drives everything is what's happening inside that, what's happening on the pitch as well. And again, I think they're aware of that, but the football stuff uh, becomes a little bit different. And I think a lot of people would argue about the football decisions that the club uh, has made. Uh, and I know we'll come on to kind of who within the club has influence on making those decisions as well. But, you know, we could sit down, the three of us, and have a conversation about football and say, you know, this particular left back is pretty good or that defensive midfielder is useful. Somebody else might go, well, actually, I don't really fancy them. I don't think they look good. I think we should get this person. So there's always a, 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 a different opinion, isn't there, among any group of football fans about um, what, you know, what particular players can do. I think over the long term, there's some genuine questions that, that that do need to be asked. And I think that there is a bit of a feeling among quite a lot of fans that possibly the football decisions haven't been at the same level uh, as the as the business decisions. But, you know, the ironic thing is, is that the, the kind of the, the bottom line criticism is, is that Daniel only cares about business. But I think that most people, even a lot of the critics, are quite pleased that, that we handle the business side as well. But again, going back to, to Kat's point about how we go into the meetings, that you know, one of the questions that, that quite a few individual fans sent us, uh, and, and in, in these words were, ask Daniel whether he puts profit or glory first. So let's kind of take that through the logic. We go into the meeting and we're sitting across the table and say, Daniel, um, do you put profit or glory first? So is he going to sit there and go, you know what, Martin, I've had a good think about this. I think I'm going to go for profit. <laughs> Or, you know what, I think I'm going to say glory. Right? Now, number one, the people that don't agree are going to say, well, he's, not, he's lying anyway, or the answer doesn't mean anything. But you do sometimes say, well, you know, what, what do you expect the club to say? And to an extent, they're going, to, they're going to take a diplomatic line. They're going to strike the party line in those meetings as well. And again, if people want to say, well, what's the point of you going and asking the questions? They're just going to give bland answers. It, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. But I think that we get more out of them. And what we've tried to do over the years is say to them, you know, we, we don't just have a relationship with them in those meetings. We talk to people at the club pretty much every day, certainly quite a few times a week, every week of the year. 
and there are ongoing working relationships as well. What I like to think that we've done, and I know Kat was very keen on doing when I first got involved, she'd been involved for a couple of years uh, on, on the board of the trust, was, was actually saying to the club, this is your opportunity to communicate a little bit better with your fans. This is your opportunity to put your point of view forward as well. And I think most of us would say that over the years, perhaps Spurs' communications haven't been as good as maybe a lot of them would have liked them to be. Uh, I take the view that people would rather hear uh, a something that sounded a little bit more in-depth and a bit more honest than something that was obviously a bit of spin. And even if they don't like the answer they get, at least I respect the club for taking the time to explain why they've done something. But I know, you know that, again, is a, another really long answer. But I think that what you're really asking is, is that what do people think of the balance between, between business and football? Uh, I, I think that much of the argument comes down to football in the end. And I mean, yes, we're a very successfully run business. Yes, we're the eighth richest club in the world. Yes, we've only won one trophy in the last 10 years. So, you know, the, the, the two things go together at some stage. And how much you care about one or the other very much depends on the individual fan, I think. If we weren't such a well-run club financially, we may well be in deep trouble with the coronavirus, everything that's so uncertain, especially mm. now. So I think that is one time that we should be thankful that we have been run so prudently as a business. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And Daniel Levy, on the back of that opening comment I mentioned, he insisted that the club has no divine right to win a competition or to be in a competition, but stressed Spurs are in to win it. Martin, you stressed that fans were not judging the transfer policy on one or two windows, but as you mentioned, over a longer period, but it seems Spurs were unable to do what other clubs did. I mean, I kind of referenced back, I know Kat, you mentioned this on a podcast recently, the likes of Liverpool, after we smashed them. 4-1 at Wembley. You see the way Jurgen Klopp almost kind of cleared the decks at Liverpool, managed to really rejuvenate and revitalise his squad and you see where Liverpool are now. I think that's down to a lot of smart recruitment, knowing the philosophy they want to go to and of course a little bit of luck. You know, of course you need a little bit of luck in football also to get where you, you want to be but you know, you look at these other clubs around us I look at Wolves for example, the model they seem to be following. I look at Leicester. You know, we're going to come on this in the show in terms of smart recruitment and having a plan and looking forward, and I think Spurs generally, on from my opinion, they need to be looking to do that. Daniel Levy advised Spurs have a net base spend of two hundred million in the last four years, but maintain there is little correlation between money spent and winning. The club invested one point six billion in infrastructure in nineteen years and maintained solvency. Daniel Levy stressed the challenges with so many competing pools on finances, and you know, ironically, when we talk about finances. Spurs announced revenue for the year end was 460.7 million although profit was down by 45 million the club have made the fourth highest earnings in the Premier League chairman Daniel Levy made the following statement on the back of saying for him you know this crisis of COVID-19 is going to be his biggest at the club in the 20 years he said we are painfully aware that it seems wholly inappropriate to be giving anyone's attention to the prior year's financial results at this time when so many individuals and businesses face worrying and difficult times we are however legally required to announce these by the 31st of March 2020 we are all facing uncertain times both at work and in our personal lives. I've spent nearly 20 years growing this club and have been many hurdles along the way. None of this magnitude. The COVID-19 pandemic is the most serious of them all. You will have noticed that we, as a necessity, ceased all fan-facing operations. With such uncertainty, we shall all need to work together to ensure that the impact of this crisis does not undermine the future stability of the club. This will include working with the wider football industry and its stakeholders to seek to restore the season, but only when it is safe and practical to do so. Our priority is the health and well-being of our staff, 
players, partners, supporters and their families. We shall look to continue to come out of this stronger and more resilient than ever. Our hope is that the virus peaks over the coming weeks and that we have a summer to enjoy. Please look after yourselves and stay safe and healthy. This is more important than football. And we do echo those words from Daniel Levy, the Tottenham Hotspur chairman. Now, Martin... Coming round to you, Daniel Levy explained that the board has to take a long-term view to protect the club. He said he takes lots of criticism and has broad shoulders and needs to have that position. Do you think he's acutely aware online, or can I ask you, is he aware of the backlash when you go onto social media, especially Twitter? We know it can be quite a volatile platform, if I put that lightly. Um, There's a lot of fans that are, they would say they're Levy out or Enoch out. Is he socially aware of that? I think the club are aware of the nature of the criticism that uh, that goes on uh, on social media, and I think you know as we are as well. Um, I think that you know you it has its uses, but I think it's also Twitter, especially, can be a bit of a bubble. So you can occasionally get caught up in thinking that that you know that is the whole world, uh, and it's a selection of views. I think people find it quite easy because they're not having that kind of face-to-face interaction, which is something we're going to have to get used to a lot more in the coming months. To to be nasty to people or to, you know, to have a go at them. Um, and I think, yeah, some of the stuff, I mean, you know, I, I think that the club has behaved quite well uh, in, in, in the last week or so. Uh, and there'll be people out there saying, oh, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? Um, but I think that I genuinely think they have. And I've been, even I, you know, I think I'm used to a lot of stuff, but seeing some of the reactions by some people on social media to that, I just think, you know, I don't know where people come from, really. And you can't. You almost couldn't blame the club for saying, "Well, what's the point of trying to do the right thing when we still get a load of shit as well?" So that, you know, there's there's a lot of abuse that's personal. Uh, there's a lot of abuse that's unjustified. There's a lot of criticism that is justified, and I don't think either me or Cat or anybody else on on the trust board would deny that that fans have a right to to voice a criticism if they think that you know that's voiced in the right way and if it's uh, if it's genuinely held as well. So. Um, I suppose you could ask how much do they care about it? And I think to an extent, if you're in the sort of position that most football club boards are in, you kind of have to take the position that you're just going to go on and do what you think is right. Uh, and you're going to develop a bit of a thick skin. So I suppose that, you know, that's the other way of looking at that. But they know there's criticism there. Um, I think in terms of the sort of the, the harder Enoch out and Levy outlines, I mean, I think I've said a little bit about that in an earlier answer. That I just think that a lot of the time it comes down to uh, an argument about football and football decisions and you know that's maybe an interesting you know conversation to pursue have we made the right football decisions over the year years and I think that there's there's a genuine conversation to be had and you would probably have to say uh, we could have made better decisions from a football point of view at times uh, and and that's translated in in the, the lack of trophies if you like but on the other hand you know over the past five years we've punched above our weight as well, so which would have made it so brilliant if we'd have won the league or we'd won the Champions League that year as well, because you know, in the way that the modern game is run, even a club as 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 kind of big financially as Spurs, we're not supposed to win things like that uh, because we're we're not in that that absolute kind of top echelon of, of world football. So rewind back um, to Daniel Levy's statement, which well, the, the accompanying piece to the financial headlines. I said before how important it is to communicate and to get your tone right when you're in the middle of a crisis such as this. And I think for me, there's been three standout pieces of communication throughout the COVID-19 crisis so far. And the first one was Jurgen Klopp's statement 
which I thought was absolutely excellent. And that is where he, Martin nicked that quote from, actually. It was Jürgen Klopp. He said that football is the most important and the least important things. Uh, that was a great statement. I thought the CEO of Sainsbury's has absolutely nailed it in terms of customer comms. And then I thought Daniel Levy's statement for the financials. I thought the tone was spot on. And for me, that made me proud to be a supporter of the, of our club. And it made me realise that maybe they they do understand what we're going through. So there's a, that, the old hashtag, the Together THFC, I thought that came into play a little bit there. So I, I divulged, but I thought I'd mention that point. I'm glad you brought that up, Kat, because my kind of next kind of point into that is that, you know, Levy stressed that he does not talk about individual colleagues, members of staff, playing staff. This is what you mentioned in your minutes. He, in public, he feels that it's best to keep that private. He again asks that fans trust the board and that the board has the best interest of the club at heart and remain fiercely ambitious. And I think that's, again, a statement there about being fiercely ambitious and, you know, the board does have the best interest of the club at heart. Certain fans will feel it's back to, again, that point of, you know, the, the financial side of things against the footballing side of things, the recruitment, the philosophy, where are we going? That's one thing that Lee McQueen, one of our own, always says, you know, we had a plan under Maurizio Pochettino, we had a five years where we knew where we were going, under Jose Mourinho now, is it short term? Do we have a, the right recruitment strategy in place? Kat, for you as supporters, uh, it's a tricky one this to ask you, but you know, do we generally believe that the board do have the best interests of us at heart? We want to remain you know fiercely competing for trophies we want to be run properly as a football club for you coming away from all this you know are we on the right track <laughs> it kind of feels uh a little bit futile trying to answer this question now because the landscape has already changed so much from when we sat down with them on the 2nd of march so any transfer policy or plans they might have had who knows if we're going to get a chance to implement any of those in the summer? So everything is so up in the air that we feel a million miles away from those answers. But I genuinely do believe they have the club's best interests at heart. It's just like the trust always has the fans' best interests at heart. It doesn't mean the two always marry up. And I think this goes back to Martin's point that he's been saying throughout the pod, Um that, that basically it's a football decision and a business decision, isn't it? So, you know, basically it, it depends how much you, how much faith you have in, in their footballing decisions. I think that's where the question mark is. We're 20 years into their tenure, we've won one trophy. So you can say you're fiercely ambitious, but ambition for me would have been living up to our motto of to dare is to do. Uh, when we were so close to Leicester in that season or, you know, we've had so many opportunities where we've been maybe one or two players short of really doing something. We haven't gone out and gone out there and done that. I think that's what frustrates most fans. It's not that they expect us to spend billions. It's the fact that when we've had most of the pieces of the jigsaw, we failed to go out and get those final bits in a way that a team like Liverpool has. So what you define as ambition is maybe different from a fan's perspective and from a owner of a football club or a board director of a football club's perspective. And I don't know how you marry those up because there are only a finite number of trophies you can win every year. And I'd like to see my team go hell for leather for them. But the club's point of view will be that our manager puts out a team to win every single game. We want to win everything, especially Mourinho. He's a winner. He wants to win everything. So I don't know how that kind of shakes down, if that makes sense. I think it's a very good point because we look at the moment, 
especially in the Premier League, and you know, you look at clubs that are in the middle of a transition. You say Chelsea is still transitioning under a new manager. Arsenal have gone through a managerial change. Man United under Solskjaer, they're still trying to find their way. Liverpool, Leicester, you'd say at the moment, they seem to know where they're going. I'd say Wolves also put into that. They seem to know where they're going. Sheffield United, what a season they've had. They seem to know where they're going at the moment. I think for Spurs, because like I say with Pochettino, we had such a stable five years... Now, we haven't got that as much. And because we had that emotional connection with the manager, with Mourinho, for some, they may never have that connection or it may take some more time. But that is exactly where we're going to go next. We are going to go for a very quick break. And after that break, it's not getting any easier for Cat and Martin. I'm discussing Maurizio Pochettino, discussing the recruitment strategy and what the future holds for the club. Do not go anywhere. We are back after this very, very short break. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs, joined by the Tottenham Hotspur Trust here, Kat and Martin. Delighted to have them back on this show. We're talking next about Maurizio Pochettino's departure, Jose Mourinho's arrival. And Martin, I'll start with you because, I mean, the question I think a lot of fans will maybe ask is, you know, you asked the board if they had learned about itself anything from Maurizio Pochettino's tenure and his departure. And Daniel Levy felt it was inappropriate to partly discuss details of Pochettino's departure but wished him well for the future. Daniel said that changing a manager mid-season is always very difficult and the club needed to appoint someone who had the instant respect of the players. Now Mourinho, we know his trophy cabinet, we know what he's won, we know this man is deemed a serial winner. Martin, we're now three, four months into his reign. Of course, this is a crazy period in what we're in at the moment because there is no football. Um, if I ask you to analyse how you feel about Mourinho's appointment so far, tell me what you think. Well, this is a really tricky one for me because uh, you know, I, I years years before Mourinho came anywhere near Spurs, I was on record as saying I didn't particularly like the style of football that he played and I didn't particularly like the way he conducted himself. Uh, I, I don't particularly like his approach to the game. So I'd be a massive hypocrite if I turned around and said, uh, oh yeah, you know, it's fine, I've not got any concerns. But Again, the point of this is that it's not just about what I think. I co-chair an organisation and there are fans that I know who absolutely loathe and detest Mourinho and there are other fans who think it's the best thing that we've ever done. Uh, And what we have to do and what I'm absolutely happy to do is say that the guy is now a manager and I want him to succeed because I want the team that I support to succeed as well. Um, And I think, you know, if the time comes when, just as we've done with the board, where we say, well, we've got some legitimate questions to raise about strategy or overall approach, then I think we need to do that. It's difficult because there have been a lot of injuries. Uh, uh, I think he's had to deal with a really difficult situation uh, on the pitch. I think the balance of that is that when he was brought in, the idea was that he was brought in on big money as a proven winner. He didn't need to improve the squad. Uh, the previous manager wasn't felt to have been getting as much out of the squad as maybe he could. So that's why we brought in this big star, one of the most successful managers in the modern game, to, to instantly take us on to the next level. Uh, and so I think I kind of asked myself the question, well, how are we judging him? Is he the instant winner or is he like any other manager, which is perfectly reasonable, where he needs some time uh, to, you know, to work with something? Um, I think probably most of us were expecting to see um, a bit more sooner, uh, but also none of us could have... have uh, really foreseen what was happening with the injuries as well. Um, and I, I think kind of back to the Maurizio thing, again, it's difficult for me because, uh, again, I was very public. I, I, I loved the approach that he brought to the club. I liked that journey we all went on over the, over the last five years. And maybe that makes me a, a bit of a soppy old romantic. But I think what, what meant so much to a lot of us about that team that Pochettino had was that we weren't buying success. We weren't just going out and chucking money at something. We were building something. 
And there was talk of a project. And I know, again, it's in the minutes that, you know, Daniel Levy said that he didn't really recall uh, using the word project and, you know, nothing had changed. We're just, we always try to win and we still do. And I, th- I would just say, I think in response to that, that I think probably a lot of people, uh, I think the club did a huge amount to disabuse people of the notion that there was a project. And it seems that we've appointed a manager who's got a completely different philosophy uh, to to the last one. Um, you know, there's no doubt in the end that, 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 you know, maybe Pochettino didn't necessarily help himself with some of his public statements. Um, why he seemed to have kind of given up a little bit. Why, why did he get to that position? That's an interesting thing to say. But again, I go back to the what do you expect the board to say? Daniel's not going to turn around and say, actually, we realised the bloke was a wrong one. And so we decided to get shot. He's not going to do that. I don't think that's the sort of person he is. But it's not something you do as a professional. It's almost like if you leave a job that you don't like, you want to tell everybody that they're all the name, but you realise that one day you might end up working with them again sometimes. So you don't get the chance to do that. So, you know, that, that's how it goes. Um, they obviously did feel it was the right thing to do to terminate his contract and to get Mourinho in because that's what they did. Um, and again, I think we've now, to, to me, again, it's just a personal opinion, but I know it's shared by a lot of people that I think we've moved from a stage where we, we could have won things in what a lot of us like to think is the Spurs way with a manager that got the philosophy and yep, embodied so personality so of the club. And I think we've moved into an era now. And I mean, I remember having a conversation with a few mates two or three years ago about this. And we were saying that, why it was important that Pochettino did get some success and won a trophy with us uh, and what would happen if he didn't. And I said that if that doesn't happen, we will just, if we're lucky, if we're lucky, be one of these clubs that attracts what I call these kind of executive managers like Mourinho and Ancelotti and Hiddink and probably Nagelsmann will be the next one who kind of go around the world. They manage one of the top clubs for a couple of years, get a bit of success and move on. Uh, and you know what? We all want a bit of success, but some part of me sort of says that you know, I, I would like it to be done with, with with a bit more heart and a bit more what I think is a traditional Tottenham way. And I know people will be out there say, for God's sake, mate, stop going about the Tottenham way because we've only won one trophy in the last 20 years or in the last 10 years. So, you know, it, it's again down to where you, you value your football. But I, I think that they, they obviously thought they were doing the right thing by changing the manager. Uh, but I just think the question for a lot of us is that it seems like such a fundamental change of approach. Uh, it, it's a bit of a surprise. And Maybe, again, they just have to retain the line that, yeah, we're going in the same direction. But I think most people go would look at it and say, you know, you've made a bit of a change here. And I think there's a certain amount of nervousness about what that means in the long term. But, you know, don't underestimate that the problems that he's had with injuries. And, and again, now, you know, who knows when we're going to get started on this season again, if we ever do, and what, what that means for the whole project. As Kat said, it's, it's also up in the air now. It's very difficult to make a, a reasoned argument, really. The irony is it's easy to end as, as soon as possible, but I don't think he could have a plan for what we're going through now in this pandemic for it to turn out like this. And if you wanted to hit the reset button, I mean, it would have been this season, but I mean, we have to wait and see what happens in terms of the Premier League, what happens moving forward. And Kat, you asked Daniel if there had been a shortlist of candidates for the role after Maurizio was let go. And Daniel insisted that Jose was the overwhelming first choice. Do you get the feeling from Daniel, or, you know, for you generally, Kat, I'll ask you as, as a supporter that... Jose Mourinho can be here for the long term and the club will significantly back him because let's be honest about it, as Martin said there, the appointment of Mourinho, it's one that has to some degree split the fan base. It's far from what we ever knew. I think he's a manager where you would never have thought 10 years ago in this universe, Jose Mourinho will be managing Tottenham. And that's also 
partly down to the wonderful work Maurizio done to put Spurs in a position where we mentioned of how far the club has elevated with that training ground, with that stadium. But you feel Mourinho as a manager needs to have a huge amount of money to fund a team behind him. Maurizio was a man that would develop players, improve players. Mourinho, for me, is a manager that needs to go out and buy the players to be able to create a team. Where are you on it, Kat, in terms of the appointment of Mourinho and Maurizio's departure? I thought for one minute we were going to blame Mourinho for COVID-19 outbreak when we were talking about his first of July. I thought, I said, you know, no matter what we think of him, that's a little bit harsh on the guy. But um, yes, I mean, Mourinho is a very divisive uh, figure, I think. And certainly our fan base has been a lot more fractious and fractured uh, since Pochettino's departure, which I think is unfortunate. I think your point is, well valid regarding Mourinho's track record of being somebody who likes to buy a team and spend an awful lot of money. But in the meeting that we had with the board, um, Daniel was very keen to stress there that Mourinho is keen to make superstars rather than buy superstars. So his ideal player would be somebody who saw Tottenham as his big move who wanted to give everything to play for the shirt and to play for the crest, not necessarily somebody who'd been there, done that, and it would just be a case of, you know, pulling on the jersey and collecting your paycheck. So he saw himself as a superstar maker rather than a superstar buyer, and I think that's an interesting difference from how we would normally have seen Mourinho. Now, whether that is a convenient line for the Tottenham board to push out at our meeting, uh, or whether that's the truth, I don't know. Similarly, I have no idea how long this relationship will last. You would think, knowing Mourinho and knowing Daniel Levy, uh, uh, as we do, that it isn't a match made in heaven. But I genuinely don't think that anybody enters into a relationship thinking it's going to end. So when Daniel spoke about Mourinho and and when, uh, uh, I think it was Simon Felstein who said that he was massively enjoying the role at Tottenham, when they spoke warmly about him, then we have to take that has been a genuine response because at this moment in time, that is probably how they're feeling. Now, I think all of us can sit back and go, hang on, this is just going to be a train crash waiting to happen. But right now, certainly from Tottenham's board's point of view, that they're not they're not seeing it like that. So your guess is as good as mine as to how long this lasts. I suppose it depends whether they are all pulling in the same direction after all. I think, look, I think it's been a very difficult start for Mourinho. I don't think he was anticipating the, the level of injuries and everything else that has you know, been thrown up um, in his way um, since since he joined us. It certainly hasn't gone smoothly. And I have an awful lot of sympathy for him for that. However, he is the manager He is the person picking the team every game. He is the person deciding on our tactics every game. He is the person making the substitutes every game. So I do feel that his deflection and the way that he will try and highlight and spotlight certain players in press conferences tells me that a leopard doesn't change its spots. So Kat personally is quite concerned about the situation. Kat as co-chair will always support her manager. Does that answer for you? It does. I remember Kat having you on with us on Love Sport, I think, on the week where Mourinho was appointed. It was around that period. I remember you saying at the time that we entered a business now relationship. I think with Mourinho, you know, this is a difference of Pochettino where with Maurizio, it was an emotional connection. We felt more close to him. You know, there was that emotional pull. Even now we see on social media where we see 
posts from Maurizio, especially where he says, I was speaking to the players, the Spurs players about COVID-19. You always immediately feel that kind of warmth saying, oh, he's still with the players. But we have to remember the way it ended was not the same as when it was that Champions League final, the build-up to that, that emotional connection we had. Can you ever see us having any kind of strong connection with Mourinho in that way if we were to get success? I don't know. I mean, I think fans are quite fickle as well, aren't they? And I think at the end of the day, we want to lift a few trophies. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm not going to criticise anybody for wanting some success. And obviously that, that would help. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I, I look at Mourinho in, in the Tottenham club merch and, and it doesn't look right still for me. Um, that's just a, a personal opinion, obviously. I think the club can do more to try and integrate him with the fan base. So we talked about maybe running a fans forum or giving fans more opportunity to have some FaceTime with Mourinho because, again, the border adamant that if we knew him and if the, the fans saw more of him personally, they'd realise he was a warm and funny guy and really charismatic and, you know, that that, that kind of uh, publicity and the persona may shift. Um, but I'm, I'm not confident. I think Martin mentioned earlier about this now being a results business. And, you know, look, there, there's nothing wrong with that. We tried one way. We didn't win anything. Maybe we try another way now. But it is very difficult, I think, when the team's in transition, when the results aren't going the right way, and when you don't feel that you have a personal connection with the manager, it, that you still have that emotional pull. Do you know what I mean? I think what you say there, Kat, is very true, because with Pochettino, even in that period where we were, let's be honest about it, domestically, we were awful for, for nine yeah. months. I remember you putting that statement out on the trust, saying at that point, nobody at that point wanted Maurizio Pochettino to be sacked. There was a point where, no. from the trust perspective... No one wanted to be sacked. I think from where I was at the time after the Sheffield United game, I saw players, even Kane, stop running. And that was my concern for me, that the instructions that he was giving out weren't being reciprocated from the players on the pitch. It is really tricky. Like you said, as fans, you want to get behind the manager. You want to see him succeed. You want to see Tottenham Hotspur succeed. That's what we're all here for as supporters, is to see the club do well. And I guess in terms of the manager, it's kind of, let's get behind him. Let's see what happens, because that's all we can do as supporters. And Martin... You said within the meeting much had been made of the club's project over the last five years. Where was that to now, which Daniel Levy insisted that nothing had changed in terms of the strategy. And he actually, as you mentioned earlier, didn't ever recall using the word project, which the club is still focused on bringing through youth players. It does, you know, to some degree, sound like Mourinho's remit is very much based on trying to bring through the youth players. He's given so far chances to the likes of Jaffet Tanganga, Oliver Skip. We've seen Dennis Serkin, I think, make a bench as well. How do you personally believe he's handled the youngsters so far? And of course, Troy Parrott being one where at the moment he hasn't had much game time, despite not having Harry Kane available to him, and Troy Parrott being the only striker available at the club. I think on the Troy Parrott thing, uh, I mean, I don't know as much about him as, as say, people like you know Chris Miller. I know kind of has watched a lot of the youth players over the years. A lot of people I know watched the, the youth team a lot more closely, but... Um, uh, in some respects, I've got a bit of sympathy that, you know, he's he's not played many top-class games and he's 18 years old. Uh, and I know people say, well, you know, Kane was fairly inexperienced and quite young when he came in as well. And sometimes you've got to take a chance. But I, I'm not necessarily down on Mourinho for not saying, OK, I'm going to chuck Parrot right in and, uh, you know, we'll stand or fall based on, on you know, on, on a pretty young striker. And I think there'd be a lot of people who criticise Mourinho if he had done that. So you could say, actually, he's trying to take care of him. I, I think... Uh, again, you know, kind of personal opinion stuff, but and I, I've actually said it in a 
in a board meeting in the past and there was a bit of a difference of opinion uh, that went on in discussing the board meeting. But I think that it's a little bit of a myth about Spurs bringing youth players through and this whole thing about the youth academy because in terms of players that we've brought through who are our own since this whole project started, there's been undeniable success. Harry Kane, pretty good success, Ryan Mason. Harry Winks, some of the jury's out, but people are saying, well, yeah, that's okay. And maybe Yafet Tanganga, uh, but it's too early to judge yet. That, that's it. That's the, that is the product of, of our own youth academy. We have brought other young players in, like Eric Dyer and Dele Alli and Kyle Walker from other clubs, right? So they've been schooled at other clubs' academies, and we've brought them in and made them better. But that, that's a slightly different thing. I get the idea about making superstars, but I don't think necessarily they, they, we, we start off making them. We maybe we get them half-formed or reasonably well-moulded from elsewhere and we make them a little bit better. But this idea that the youth academy at Spurs has been this conveyor belt and bringing a lot of people into the, into the first team, I, I just don't think the evidence is there to show that. There, there are more young players that we bought from other clubs and made better than they were or given an opportunity to than players from within our own academy. And that, that may be the right thing to do, but it, it's never sat quite right with me because if you just look at the facts in front of you, those four players I mentioned are really the ones that have come through the youth academy. And the, the only absolutely overwhelming undoubted success is Harry Kane. And Harry Kane is a, is a, is a once-in-a-lifetime genuinely world-class talent as well. So, you know, I'm, in, to an extent... You could say that we were lucky that he, he, he matured in a way that he did. But of course, some of that is going to be down to the fact that he was at our academy and he, he, he is now, a you know, sort of Tottenham through and through. But just I, I've never been easy with that, that kind of narrative that our youth academy has been this fantastic conveyor belt because I just don't think the evidence is there. And I know there will be people shouting at their at their. Uh, at their phones and their radios know about that. But I just, I've got to call it as I see it, really. Cat, the ball did want to emphasise that Spurs is a club, as you mentioned earlier, that do look to make superstars. Mourinho wants to bring players in who give absolutely everything for the club because they recognise the opportunity and people need to understand a DNA within that dressing room. For you, Cat, do you think that is still there despite Pochettino going, Mourinho coming in? Can you still keep that DNA within the club of looking to bring through the youth? As you know, we've discussed it with Martin. Is that connection there between the fans and the team? Because you feel at the moment, you know, because the team is is ageing to some degree, obviously we're looking to bring through younger players. We saw in the recent transfer window with Jensen Fernandes coming in. Um, obviously, we signed Tungi Ndombele in the summer. We've got Steven Bergwijn. The club are trying to address the age of the squad. But when you think about, again, that kind of emotional connection we had to the team up to the Champions League final, it was it was so there. You know, we felt like we knew the players inside and out. The, you know, the Harry Kane's, and you mentioned Harry Winks. The jury may still be out on him. Do we still feel emotionally connected to this squad cap for you? On and off. I mean, obviously, we've got quite a lot of results help, don't they? <laughs> results, <laughs> results help. help yeah. And of I course. and I actually also feel that the this day and age that we live in, it's not just about the ninety minutes on the pitch, is it? It's about how else the club project those players. So if you look at the social media comms uh, that we had under Pochettino's team, uh, they'd be playing Uno in the dressing room. They'd constantly be bantering on Instagram, on their own Snapchat, on on their their own Twitters, whatever. I've seen very little of this now. It feels like that culture has, has shut a little bit. And that therefore means that I'm not getting access to those players so that they become rounded people to me as opposed to just players. Now, I know that might sound a bit fluffy, 
but we're in 2020 and that's kind of the way that the world works these days. So I think there's distance being put in across many channels, not just on the pitch. And as I said, they are new and it hasn't helped that we've, the season's now obviously so disrupted. We don't know when it's going to finish. We've had so many injuries. We haven't really been able to put out consistent teams. And I, I think that's tricky. You asked about the DNA. I think that Daniel Levy's point will always be that we will always have to be a team that looks to promote through our youth. And that's why we invested so well in Hotspur Way and our training facilities. And that's why we put such a lot of focus on our academy and on our youth setup, because that's the only way we can compete, because we'll never be able to compete with the real big boys in terms of you know wages and transfer you know, pots, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that is still part of our DNA. And I think we are fairly unique as a club. I think that we do have a strong identity. And that's something that most Spurs fans would recognise because that's probably why they support Tottenham because of the club's identity. So I think that DNA still runs there. I think it's it's more permanent than a, a transience of just a team. Um, but yeah, the, the connection for, for me and I'm sure for many others um, isn't quite as strong as it was. But that doesn't mean that I don't go to the stadium, I don't get behind the team and I don't want us to win. And I'm not desperately frustrated when our performances are below par or when we lose, because of course I do. Do you know what I mean? Of course, yeah, we, we all do. Listen, even though we may not feel that the connection is there to some degree, like you say, we don't see those videos anymore of them playing Uno. We don't see that kind of banter between the players on social media. Maybe they've been to told to tone, tone it down. I can't imagine that, you know, especially when you see them after games where we win. It is still happy. It is still joyous. You want to see that maybe during the week a bit more. Um, it is really tricky to kind of understand why that has stopped. And Martin, you know, Daniel Levy spoke to you guys of the pride seeing Harry Winks being given the captaincy for the Wolves match and how proud he was to have seen Harry progress through the ranks, keeping that philosophy, as we mentioned in this segment, about, you know, bringing through the youth. Daniel believes Spurs are different. They have a unique character. Even with someone like Mourinho in charge, a maverick of a manager, can we still be thought of to some degree? And you mentioned this earlier about the Spurs way. Are we still a people's club? Or for want of a better phrase, have we now sold our soul because we are going with someone that is different to what we would ever go with before when you compare it to a Maurizio Pochettino? Or is this now football evolving now? Is it just a case that Spurs are so desperate for that success, so desperate for silverware, they've got the stadium, they've got the training ground. Now as supporters, we want the success, we want the trophies, we want to win trophies, we want to be there and be successful over a contained period. What do you think? Well, I think we were on the cusp of change before this massive change that we keep, you know, coming back to, which is looming over us all, you know, loomed over us all. Uh, I, I think we're really at a cusp of change there that, you know, I, again, it, this is not news to people who, who've ever listened to anything I've, I've, I've said or written, but I'm one of the people who does, you know, go on about the Spurs way and the glory game and the Danny Blanchflower quote about the game is, is, uh, is about glory. Uh, but I always say about that quote that people misinterpret it. Because what he talked about, he said the game was about glory and about, about winning in style. Winning on its own wasn't enough. Glory on its own wasn't enough. If you're Spurs, it's got to be both. And that's a pretty high bar to set. And I think what's starting to change now is that I think quite a significant section of our fans actually don't care uh, whether uh, about the style in which we do something. They don't care about that reputation that, that we have of the kind of style merchants and the whole kind of glory tradition. And they see that as a bit of a millstone around their necks. Uh, and, you know, I, it, that's a view that doesn't sit comfortably with me. But I'm never going to tell somebody, unless they're doing something, you know, so totally outrageous that you have to pull them up, how to support their club or that the way that they feel about their club is wrong. 
uh, and, you know, they might feel that, you know, I'm a bit overly romantic. I might think that they're a bit hard headed. But I think that before, you know, the whole kind of COVID-19 thing kicked in, that that's really what we were seeing. And that would have been the story of this season. Uh, and it's and it's again, Kat referred to it, you know, is it just a business proposition? Are we just about the results? And I think quite a lot of fans would say, you know what? Yeah, we are. You know, it is just about winning a trophy, getting the results and staying up there. And I don't care about all of this history and tradition and glory and all this flim flam and romance uh, because it doesn't really get you anywhere. And I, I think that's tremendously sad because that is what makes my club different. It, it's the fact that it is winning and glory. It's both of them at the same time. And I don't think uh, any other club can lay claim to, 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 to doing something like that, really. Uh, and again, that will you know, provoke howls of outrage amongst uh, fans of certain other clubs as well. So I, I, I think that that's where we were. We were, we were having that conversation and it may well be uh that you know that we we went the way of you know just success at all costs i, I think the problem that, that brings with it then is is that if you're saying okay um we're in a really hard results business and it's just about winning uh, i think that then to say well okay you've got to step back and give the manager a bit of a chance well hold on a minute if we're so hard-nosed and we're just full-on to winning then no we're not going to give anybody a chance we just want to win otherwise we get rid and we do something again and I think if you can combine that with the fact that, and, you know, I would say this, wouldn't I, as a co-chair of a supporters trust, but with the prices that people have been asked to pay. So they say we're paying top dollar. OK, we're told that we, we are completely focused on results, but we're still not getting them. What that creates is a situation where fans are prepared to give the club less leeway and less goodwill and less understanding than they might have done before because they bought into that doing it the right way. So that's the other side of the coin. Some people could say, great, you know, we're being much more hard-nosed and that's going to mean we're successful. But it also means there's going to be a lack of patience. And I think that one thing that you cannot accuse our fan base of being is not patient because the numbers that we've turned up in and the passion that we've displayed for that team compared to the amount of winning trophies and actual success we've had is, is absolutely incredible. And the gap between those two things, I don't think is as great with any other set of fans as well. So, you know, if you want to go the hard-nosed route, fine but i think you start losing a bit of that as well and let's see where that gets us i know what i would prefer and a lot of people would say well you're a mug then aren't you martin as well and they'd be perfectly entitled to think that that's one of the things i think supporting spurs to some degree for some fans out there it's it's a way of doing things it's a certain way and you know to some degree maybe we have sold that but i think again if we are going to sell it, let's just let's see some trophies at the end of it. Let's see some success at the end of it. And interestingly, Kat, you asked the club about the high-profile contract issues. You know, Daniel Levy said he wasn't in the club's interest to say X didn't want to sign a new contract with us. You know, there's lots of rumours around players and potential transfers. And Daniel Levy and the ball, they can't control what the media say. We knew, you know, with Christian Eriksen's contract, Yamba Tongan, Toby Adavirold, Victor Wanyama, Danny Rose, they were all entering their last 12 to 18 months of their contract. We had Sir Julia come out last summer and say, you know, he was looking for a move. Do you think the club, Kat, and this is directly me asking you, not obviously anything to do with the board here, do you feel the club <laughs> took their eye off the ball in terms of when they were building the training ground, the stadium, and did not place a greater emphasis on ensuring players sign new deals or didn't move them on quick enough? Look, we've always said that what happens on the pitch is the most important thing. So whether or not we should assign this player or let them go early is always going to be a matter of opinion. And we're never going to find out the true story about individual players. Maybe we should consider whether if we had performed better over 90 minutes against what was a poor Liverpool side in Madrid and we'd won the European Cup, would we still be talking about whether the board had succeeded or failed? And they're the slim margins that we're talking about. So that's kind of my, my take on that. 
I did say, and Martin alluded to this earlier, I did say um, in one of our meetings a few years ago when we were talking about planning for the new stadium uh, that the team was always the jewel in the crown and that should always be the focus because you can build as most beautiful stadium that you want, but if you're not producing on the pitch, people aren't going to come and they're certainly not going to pay top dollar. So did they take their eye off the actual you know, team difficult. They're never going to say that they did, are they? Let's put it that way. No, they're not, are they? They're not ever going to say no. that. No, they're not. <laughs> if the truth is they're not, are they? As much as we would want no. them to. Um, Martin, interestingly though, the ball did want to emphasise that being a London-based club that plays in Europe regularly can make it more difficult for players to find other clubs to move to because they have minimum expectations. You know, how damaging do you think it's been not moving players on that didn't want to be at the club rather than investing that money into the squad to look to improve it. Again, it's back to the, you, you don't know, you know, what the, the true inside story of a transfer is and what, what they always say, and they, they do say that in so many words, is that, you know, every transfer deal has a lot of moving parts. It's not easy to get them all right. And we get that. And I think I go back to, you know, something I think both of us have said fairly regularly through the course of, uh, of, of this podcast is that uh, you, you kind of judge over a longer term. It's not just about one deal. So, uh, I think it's a legitimate question for fans to say, you know, over the years, has it really been as good a business decision as it might have seemed, first of all, to not take a financial hit on a fee for a player, for example, uh, but, you know, just kind of move them on if, if clearly their time at the club are gone? Uh, because if they've stayed there, they've not really played, but we've still been paying the wages we haven't got the, the transfer free income from, from, from selling them on and we haven't been able to reinvest that in the team. Is that, you know, maybe a short term decision that was good, but in the, in the medium to long term, was that a good idea? And I think there's a feeling that possibly we haven't got that balance quite right. Uh, and again, you know, we tried to push the board uh, as hard as we could on that in the meeting. And we wanted to, pe- people always talk about transfer fees. And I think you've got to talk about wages as well uh, and the wages that, that, that you're prepared to pay. And again, the feeling has been that you know, other teams have paid better wages uh, than Spurs and there are stories weren't there that, you know, the players were looking at other teams and other players who weren't doing as well as them and saying, well, why am I not getting paid as much as them? Uh, you can also say that if you look at a league table for most of the past 10 or 15 years and you look at a league table, which is based on the overall wage bill, usually about six in that. If you look at a league table based on where you finish after playing the games of football that you play, Spurs have finished in the last five years higher than six most of the time. So, um, you know, we've we've achieved, we we punched above our weight on that, haven't we? As well, so it, it's again, it's 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 how you judge it. Um, you know, Katz mentioned there's been a couple of times when we thought maybe we could have bought one or two players, and that would have just given us the, that 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 extra push. Uh, I think also you can look at, you know, were there times when you know we could have maybe changed things and freshened things up or moved players on in in order to enable us to get those players in. And I think you know they're they're again. They're there to find margins. But I think you have to look at the transfers and you have to look at the wages side of it and you have to balance it up. I think what will be tough for the club, and I mean, Kat is right to say that, uh, you know, look, Spurs are never commercially going to have the same kind of income as Real Madrid, Manchester United, Barcelona, Liverpool. You know, that they are the kind of global super brands uh, and they are so far ahead of everybody else uh, that it's difficult to see uh, the gap being closed. But then people will say, well, a few years ago, we were ahead of Liverpool, weren't we? Uh, you know, there's a fantastic win over them at Wembley and we were consistently finishing higher than them as well. So things can change around. But now that the club have built the stadium, now they have got that income, now they are the eighth richest club in the world. They're not going to be able to, for, for too much longer, 
be able to keep saying to people, well, actually, we haven't got the same financial firepower. And it may well be that, you know, we've still got the debts on the stadium and the structure in and there's a few more years to go. But at some stage, the deal is supposed to be. And if you want the praise for the business point of view, which I believe they should get, that we built a, a club, an institution which is much bigger than it was, that has to have some effect on our ability to compete at the very top level, doesn't it? And I think it's kind of back to the answer that I gave to the last question as well, is, is that people are having less and less patience because they're seeing that you know there is greater income, everything else has been put in place, uh, and they are they are absolutely for that success to come on the football pitch uh, and there's less there's less room for you know for, for goodwill or forgiveness or understanding that maybe things didn't go right uh, and that that can be described as a hard winning mentality or it can be seen as a bit of a problem because it means that we're very very judgmental and and you know we're inclined to turn on each other a little bit when things aren't going right and we'll, we'll have to see how that pans out we're going to go for a very quick break and when we return we'll be discussing how Spurs' recruitment team is made up in terms of what's going to happen for Tottenham in terms of the Champions League next season, wherever, if that may be, or whatever happens with the season. And of course, a roundup from Kat and Martin on everything else that is happening in and around the club. Now, ahead of recording this podcast, we had some interesting developments which Tottenham Hotspur announced on Friday. And that was that the club can confirm that John McDermott is to leave his role as the head of academy coaching and player development to take up a position of assistant technical director at the Football Association. John departs the club after 15 years of our academy, which he oversaw the academy and development of an incredible array of players, many that have gone on to establish themselves as leading names in domestic and international football. And they include the likes of Harry Winks, Harry Kane, Danny Rose, Ryan Mason and Andros Townsend. Daniel Levy wanted to pay tribute to the work John has done and also wanted to mention that on behalf of everyone, he would like to express his gratitude to John for the many years of dedication and loyal service that he gave to the club. We wish him well in his role coming up with the FA and it is now vital that we take the necessary steps and attention to identify the right expertise to move our academy forward reflecting just how important it is to a role like this at our football club. The process has already commenced and we shall provide an update in due course. Now, we're going to tie that into the podcast because we are going to discuss the recruitment and how the club were formed before John's departure. And interestingly, if the club are going to be looking to go back to a sporting director, we've seen links as well over the weekend with Louis Campo, who is the sporting chief director at Lille, a man that Tottenham did try and get at the time when Jao Sacramento became Jose Mourinho's number two, the assistant to Jose Mourinho, and if the club may be looking to explore that avenue once again. Kat, I know you asked the board for a brief explanation of how player recruitment worked at Spurs. Daniel Levy explained the process hasn't changed at all. The chief scout, Steve Hitchin, the head coach, Jose Mourinho, and the head of the academy, John McDermott, were all involved, along with head of football administration, Rebecca Capelhorn, involved in that process. Now, as we understand it, um, they were discussed, this is Mourinho and Steve Hitchin, the areas that would need strengthening, who that might be in terms of option, considering age, salary, nationality, language, and that list would be narrowed down and then presented to Daniel Levy. That list would then be put in order, and then they would see who and what is possible. Do you feel, Kat, after hearing that explanation from Daniel, that's a reasonable way for the club to be working? And I kind of look at the recruitment structure when we compare it to the likes of Leicester, Wolves, Liverpool. You look at those models in the Premier League, they seem to know exactly what they're looking for, exactly where they're going. They seem ahead of the chain. It is very difficult because with recruitment, you can never be too sure where you're heading. But do you come away from that meeting feeling of a clear understanding and a pathway as to what Tottenham are looking to do and looking to achieve? 
recruitment-wise? Well, I asked the question because I thought it needed clarifying, despite the fact that Daniel and the board said it was business as usual since Pochettino had left and uh, Mourinho had arrived. I felt that it was worth asking for clarity as to who was in charge of uh, transfers, recruitment, retention, new contracts, because I felt that it had been slightly blurred uh, under the previous regime. And, and I felt that he gave a full answer. I mean, that, that is a, a full and credible answer. Now, you're asking me if I think that is a, a good recruitment policy, if that's a good approach. Ricky, I'm a fan rep. I, I don't work in recruitment of <laughs> players at Premier League football clubs. So it's, I don't know. But okay. for me, as a fan, it seems reasonable enough and the answer was thorough enough. But because I'm not scouting players and yep. I'm not involved in that area, it, it, it wouldn't be right for me to no, profess that, 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 whether or not there was a better way to do that. I would leave that to the professionals. No, that's fine. I mean, Martin, you asked the club directly why we're in a position where we only have one first-team striker. Daniel advised that there are lots of attacking players in the squad and the club was disappointed not to bring in another striker, but were pleased they were able to add another attacking player in the recent window, and that, of course, was Stephen Bergwijn. Do you think it is a case, Martin, that with regards to the striking option, it's more that we need to find competition for Harry Kane rather than someone that can actually be his backup? Again, a tricky one that... It- this is a, a, a question that we had to ask because we look really stupid if we didn't ask it. And, and it's, it's a very legitimate question. Uh, you know, why, why are we left with just the one striker? But they were they were never particularly going to say, oh, yeah, actually, it's a bit of a problem. You know, the bunch that we got really much good, they couldn't hit a barn door from two paces. Uh, you know, no, no, no chairman is going to talk their club down. They're not going to talk their players down like that. And I don't think that they genuinely believe that either. Um, I think what's difficult for a lot of fans to, to, to see is, is that it is, again, it's not just one transfer window, is it? It's over a period of time uh, that uh, we suppose you know, we haven't been able to attract another striker in. Is it because Harry Kane is, is the number one? Well, you know, there are teams that play with one up front who seem to manage to recruit other strikers. And I can remember not too long ago, you know, when we were playing different tactics, but we had four pretty good strikers to call on and we rotated them through the squad. So, uh, you know, personally, I think that the answer they gave, which was just, look, we've got a lot of attacking players, was was a pretty thin answer. But again, you know, as I said, they're not going to say, yeah, we're making the best of a not very good bunch, are they? They're going to talk up their staff. So, but, you know, it's it's I think it's a genuine question. I don't know the answer. Why is it that we seem to find it so difficult, in particular, to recruit, you know, another striker? Why is it that we haven't had any cover for, you know, for Harry, who, you know, I said, I think he's a genuinely world-class talent um, for so long. And I think that's taken its toll. Mm, I mean, Daniel Levy also stressed how difficult it was to do a transfer both in and out, especially considering the liquidity in the market has decreased. Do you feel, Martin, from your perspective, from an outside now, looking in, does the club need to look at potentially a director of football or a sporting director to assist in terms of the recruitment? Levy in the past has been a fan of this model. We've seen it before. We've had Frank Arneson come in. We've had Franco Baldini also feature. You know, there has been rumours in the previous summer and also when Mourinho came in looking at maybe Louis Campo, someone that he's used to working with. Could you see the club maybe going back to that particular kind of recruitment model? I've got to confess I was never particularly a fan of the way we implemented that director of football role uh, because I think the way it was set up led to, to clashes with the manager. You know, there was the, the kind of famous stories about, you know, Yol and Arneson not quite seeing eye to eye. Um, and I, I've still got a view that the manager should be in charge of everything to do with the playing side. 
that there'll be people out there that think that's quite an old-fashioned view or it's an outdated view. But I'd certainly say that football's got to be at the heart of every decision. Uh, and and I think that there's, you know, that at Spurs at senior level, they do think that football is very important. But I think that, you know, some other considerations, which are also important, I think sometimes have too much bearing at times when they shouldn't. Uh, and that takes you back to that business v football argument that we do, we've been touching on uh, all the way through this discussion and, and where the two diverge. So I, I, I'm not I'm not convinced about the idea of a director of football, uh, certainly if it's not uh, implemented in the right way. Uh, I think why we asked the questions about recruitment and the structure was to try and get an idea. You know, at one stage under Pochettino, they'd said it is solely Maurizio who is in charge of transfers. Uh, and then that kind of changed at a different stage. And then it was a, a committee. And I think, you know, it's obviously, obviously, you know, Daniel uh, is going to have an opinion because he's the chairman. He's ultimately responsible for that side of it. I don't think he's going to buy a player that the manager doesn't want, but he's also not also going to buy a player um, that uh, necessarily, you know, he's not going to buy every player that the manager wants, but, you know, he's going to sign the checks off. There's going to be other people on the board that have an influence on that as well. Uh, and I think they're going to listen to the football people. Now, you know, do they need a director of football on top of that structure that you and Kat just talked about? Maybe not. If that if that works properly, then that's fine. Uh, but I think it, it's not what the role is called. It's how you set it up, really. And I said, I think, again, that, you know, football has got to be at the heart of the decisions. And I think, again, I'll annoy people. But if you look at why Liverpool have overtaken in the past few years, it's because they've got the football decisions right and they put the football right at the centre of everything they do uh, and look at the results they've got on the pitch. Yeah, I think that's very, very key, isn't it, in terms of the way they've done their recruitment, the way they've moved forward. They had a plan in place. Again, I keep referring back to it. I look at other clubs that have got a philosophy, got a plan, and Spurs need to establish that definitely under Jose Mourinho or whoever the manager's going to be to have that success eventually. Cat, interestingly, the board advised that funds were ring-fenced for the summer. However, not qualifying for the Champions League would have an impact all round. Again, and that's hard here because we're talking about a season where we don't know what is going to happen in terms of we're going to carry on playing it, if that is now the end, what it means for next season, the season after. Does that worry you in terms of the fact that not having Champions League football, no one has an impact in terms of the stadium. Of course, as supporters, you know, you look at that stadium, it needs Champions League football. We are so used to it now. Not having that and also that having an impact on the transfer market. We've got a, we've got a manager in Jose Mourinho, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that you feel needs to do a rebuild of this squad. Um, do you feel that he will get the significant backing in order to improve this squad? I mean, you can't really bring him in and then not give him the backing. What do you think? First, it's probably pretty futile me trying to answer this question because as we've said right at the top, the landscape has changed so dramatically. We don't know if we're going to have a transfer window. We don't know when this season will be concluded and we don't know if it'll be next season. I do think if I'm Jose Mourinho, I think that someone's got a voodoo doll or put a hicks on me though because literally <laughs> everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Um, I, I don't see how it's possible to give a coherent answer there. When we asked the question on the 2nd of March, that was a valid thing to ask. And yes, Discussing the impact of not having Champions League football was very valid. I don't think it is so much now. I think the club will have bigger challenges and I think that they will have to dig deeper uh, to uh, get through the current crisis without worrying too much about missing out on a European competition. It doesn't seem quite as important as it did on the 2nd of March. And as we said earlier, literally, who knows what is going to go on? No. Transfer windows and everything else. 
the season tickets, Kat, this is one thing I think you'll be keen to obviously say here that, you know, I think you guys played a massive, massive hand in terms of that being postponed at the time. Obviously, subsequently, what's happened in terms of the world, no one could predict what was going to happen. But are you quite pleased the way the club did listen in terms of the season ticket renewals being pushed back? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, right from the word go, when it became obvious that uh, the COVID-19 outbreak was pretty serious and was definitely going to have an impact on football, um, we were in touch with the club, urging them just to try and take their fans' situation into consideration as well. Uh, we we find that it will be inconceivable to think that none of our 50,000 season ticket holders will be personally affected uh, by by the outbreak, basically, uh, whether that's they're sick themselves, grieving for a loved one, they've lost their jobs, they're facing economic uncertainty. And I just think it's so important that the club shows it understands that and that it values that and that it shows empathy and humility. So for me to open up that season ticket window, which would have been last Tuesday, would have felt quite cold-hearted and quite callous, to be honest. Um, so I thought it was a, a very important decision to make, but let's not underestimate that. They have obviously a financial plan. They have business plans that they need to, to, to try and keep to as much as they possibly can. And the decision not to open season ticket renewals meant that they were basically taking no nothing coming in, no income coming in. And as Daniel said, they've shut down all their fan-facing operations. So at the moment, the cash flow is going to be tight, basically. So... Um, Bearing all that in mind, I was very pleased that they made that decision. I was very pleased that they took our point of view on board. I think it was absolutely the right thing to do. I do think that they are going to need to move to open up at some stage uh, because you know, we have to assume there'll be a next season. Uh, but obviously, I think also it's important that we know what's going to happen with the five home games that we've got left in this season, uh, which are still, you know, sitting there. People have got tickets for those games and we don't know when they're going to be played. So to try and ask people for next season's money before we know what's happening with the rest of this season and any associated refunds or whatever that might come out of that pack, I felt was a little premature as well. But to answer your question, yes, uh, they did the right thing and uh, we were proud of them for doing that. You've got to have a bit of a sense of perspective and a lot of the things that, that, that you know, would have been priorities before uh, are not going to be now. Uh, we don't know where we're going to pick things up. Um, so uh, it's just quite difficult to say. I mean, I just think that it is, you know, and I genuinely don't know what lies ahead. It's going to be so new and we're all going to have to think in such different ways to the way that we thought before. It's going to be a massive challenge for all of us. And I think, you know, number one is getting back to some sense of normality in all of our everyday lives. Uh, that is number one. There's nothing else that challenges that. Then behind that somewhere on the list is is getting football back to some semblance of normality and making sure that our clubs are still there. But I think that, you know, every every sector of business, every industry, every organisation is going to be really, really heavily affected by what's going on at the moment. We haven't had to deal with something like this ever at all before. Uh, so I just think there's real, real uncharted waters ahead. Uh, and I think that all of us are going to have to maybe take a bit of a breath have a bit of a think anew about things. And, I think, you know, it's almost everything's up for grabs, isn't it? But, you know, the, the old rules have been rewritten now. So, uh, and we could all drive ourselves mad speculating about, you know, what do we do if this happens? What do we do if that happens? You've got to have a certain amount of contingency planning. And we're talking on the trust about, you know, what is it that we do as an organisation, if anything, while this season's suspended? Uh, you know, we've obviously had a bit of a discussion about, you know, various scenarios that might come up and, um, you know, what would that mean? What, what would we do? 
what we've certainly got time to do at the moment is, you know, talk to people on WhatsApps and telephone and Skype calls and whatever. So kind of get opinions in. Um, but I said, you know, people are, it just feels odd kind of having a big priority on talking about football and, and what happens with, you know, stewarding the South stand or, you know, access to the North stand or whatever at the moment, because yeah, I totally agree. it's small. Yeah, I totally agree. It's one of those things that I know what was on the agenda, but obviously now with what's going on in life, there is more bigger and, you know, and harder things to definitely overcome. Listen, guys, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Is there anything you want to give a shout-out to? I know, again, it's kind of timing. This isn't the greatest time, but I know you're always very keen to have new members, to join the trust. Is there anything you want to, anything you want to mention at all? Yeah, anything yeah, you want to mention? absolutely, Richard. I mean, I just wanted to reassure our members, really, that we're obviously still working for them. Um, we're, we're here for them if they've got any issues um, we're working closely with the Football Supporters Association who are the national body um, for football fans and we also are part of Football Supporters Europe so we're working with them also uh, and we are in dialogue uh, with the Premier League and the FA so it's not like we haven't down tools we're still here we're still plugging away um, football as Martin said obviously there's a degree of perspective but football is still clearly very important to all of us otherwise we certainly wouldn't be doing what we do at the supporters trust so um if everybody you know business as usual to a certain extent if anyone's got questions they want to send in that's absolutely fine we're here for them um well obviously as martin said looking at all the contingency options and how they would impact on fans and we'll make sure that fans are part of those discussions so for example i know quite a few people are concerned that if they move to playing behind closed doors how that would impact on fans so just that kind of thing and and as we're trying to feel our way in the dark um we're obviously still keeping the fans interests at the forefront of our minds um but yes so with that in mind if people want to join us um become part of our community you are more than welcome and you can find out all the details at our website which is www.thstofficial.com forward slash membership oh and there is one thing that i will say we're actually decided that we will make um junior membership completely free so uh, you if you're under 18, uh, you don't have to pay anything to be a full member. If you're already an associate junior member, we're going to upgrade you for nothing. So there you go. Silver lining. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Even in these darkest of times, Cat and Martin exactly. are still finding ways to try and keep us going. Listen, Martin, thank you ever so much for coming on. It is always a pleasure having you both. You know, we always love having you on. Um, hopefully the next time we speak we'll be in better circumstances hopefully the world would have returned to some kind of normality we can keep moaning about football that'll be quite nice hopefully in a positive <laughs> way though you know we haven't had a chance to do that you know it's been such a somber show listen martin thank you so much for coming on really really a pleasure no problem mate always a pleasure very very kind cat Thank you, as always. Pleasure always having you on, Kat. You're welcome. Oh, these Thank two. you for being so lovely. Don't be silly. These two are amazing. <laughs> the work they do, again, guys, please help these guys out. You know, become a member. You know, become a member of the Tottenham family, the community. This club needs all the support it can get. Please stay safe. Keep reaching out to loved ones. As always, keep the faith. And come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.